0: Welcome to another episode of East Coast, a true crime podcast, where I tell you about unsolved cases from Florida to Maine, and throw in a few solved cases in between. I'm your host, Allie, and today we're going to be covering a case that I had never heard before I started this podcast, which, I mean, is part of the reason why I started the podcast. But still, it's um, a pretty horrific case, and I haven't seen a lot of coverage on it as far as other podcasts go or anything i did see a youtube video that has some pretty in-depth research on it um and like one podcast but that's it not too much more this episode ventures out of the 80s and into the 90s which was also a great music era but i'm sure you guys are glad that we're not in the 80s anymore (laughs) This case takes place in 1993 in a small town in North Carolina called Windsor. Now, I had no clue where Windsor was, and the first thing I actually thought of was Windsor Castle in England, and I knew that was not right. So if you're like me and had never heard of the town, it's a bit northeast of Greenville, or if you don't know where Greenville is, then Windsor is across the... Albemarle Sound from Kitty Hawk and Kill Devil Hills, and inland of it. Or, for those who know nothing about North Carolina, it's in the Northeast Carolina area. This case is a little harrowing. I think that's the best way to describe it. To put it in perspective, why I call it harrowing, picture your workplace. Or, if you work from home because of the pandemic, picture a place that you've worked before. You're closing up for the night. All of the customers or clients are finally gone. You and a coworker and a cleaning crew are supposed to be the only ones inside. But someone is hiding in the store. That's what happened on June 6th, 1993 in Windsor, North Carolina, at the local B-Low Supermarket. Store manager Grover Cecil and the store cashier Joyce Reason were closing up for the night around 6 p.m. An independent cleaning crew consisting of four men were going to be redoing the floors. Jasper Hardy Jr. was one of those men. In an article in the Rocky Mountain Telegram, he said that, quote, he and the other three in his cleanup crew had reported for work as usual Sunday night at the Below grocery store in Windsor. They were gathering their supplies as the last customer left the store at closing, end quote. What they didn't know at the time was that a man was waiting in the shadows until they closed, waiting to strike. The robber approached Cecil and Reason first, herding them to the back of the store with a gun pointed at Cecil's back. A few members of the cleaning staff were already at the back of the store, but the man made sure everyone was summoned. The man seemed to know exactly how many people were part of the cleaning crew and how many people were supposed to be in the store at the time. He was said to seem at ease at the situation. He said he was a former cop with nothing to lose. All of the captives were understandably frightened for their lives, but they did everything the man asked. There is a bit of conflicting stories in a few of the sources about what happened next, but the captives were bound with duct tape and dog leashes that the abductor had pulled off the store's shelves. One article I read said that Cecil was forced to tape everyone's hands before the captor taped his, while another article mentions that Hardy's friend and co-worker, Johnny Rankins, was the one to wrap the tape around Hardy's ankles. I'm guessing that first they tied their ankles before Cecil was forced to tie their hands, but none of the sources that I read actually definitively say that. The man then ordered them to lay down on top of each other in three stacks of two. There's a quote from that same article from the Rocky Mountain Telegram that I want to read. I think it really highlights what was going through each of their minds at that moment. Quote, even when tied up, Hardy did not think the gunman would shoot anyone. After all, everyone was following orders. The man could have anything in the store he wanted. Hardy lay down on the floor, his face turned towards the wall, and waited for the ordeal to be over. End quote. The captor then began shooting and stabbing the six people. Roanoke Chowan News-Herald reported on the severity of the crime, quote, Two by two, the suspect stacked his victims on the floor in three piles. He then opened fire with a handgun, sending one bullet into each pile and killing the person on top and injuring another. While Welch survived the bloody attack, he would succumb to cancer in 2005. After his weapon jammed on the fourth shot, the killer rolled each victim individually onto their stomachs he then left for a brief moment returning with a knife he located at the back of the room of the store he th- he used the knife to stab a fifth victim in the throat and back the wound to the back was reported to be so forcefully inflicted that the knife broke off in the victim's back end quote. At the end of the ordeal Joyce Reason, a mother of twin girls, Grover Cecil and Johnny Rankins had been shot dead. Reason and Cecil were both shot once in the head and Rankins was shot in the back. Thomas Hardy had been on the bottom and was miraculously unharmed. Birdie County Sheriff Wallace Perry said in an article in the Asheville Citizen Times quote, he was lucky. He was on the bottom. He felt the trauma when the man on top of his, him was shot, end quote. The other members of the cleaning crew were critically injured. Jasper Hardy had his throat slashed and a butcher knife had been broken off in his back and Sylvester Welch Jr. had been shot in the back. There are a lot of inconsistencies about which of the Hardys was actually the one who was injured and who wasn't. When he had finished his horrific crimes, the killer grabbed stolen money that he had placed in a grocery bag, money order receipts, the knife he had used, and even the keys to the store, and he vanished. Welch somehow managed, despite the bullet in his back, to crawl to the store phone and call the police. And on that note, we'll be back after a short, ad from our sponsor. Okay, so welcome back from that little break. I had just told you that Sylvester Welch Jr. had somehow managed, despite being shot in the back, to call the police. When the police arrived, what they saw was so gruesome and it would haunt many of them for the rest of their lives. In an article from ABC 12, Birdie County Sheriff John Hawley, whose family member was actually one of the victims, said, quote, it was very gruesome, um, had a blood trail from the back all the way to the front, end quote. Welch crawled in order to call the police. Nowadays, there are phones everywhere. Most, if not all of you, are listening to this podcast on your phone but this crime took place in 1993. That means a whole lot was different back then. I mean, heck, I wasn't even alive back then. Maybe the only phone that could call out of the building was located up front? That's what the Roanoke Chowan News Herald said, but I really can't verify that through any other sources. Windsor Police Chief Rodney Hoggard said in the Roanoke chowen news herald quote i remember the smell of blood there was blood everywhere end quote there were multiple officers who said that it was one of the worst crimes that they had ever seen and they did all they could to try and solve it now retired sbi special agent dwight ransom said in a 2018 article in the Roanoke chowan News-Herald, quote, it's still the worst scene I dealt with in my 30 years as an agent. Plus, this crime happened only six blocks from my house. It happened in my town, so it's personal to me. I ride by that location every day while out exercising on my bike. I still think about that night And then all the effort we put in to try to find the person responsible for this horrific crime. End quote. That kind of resonated with me a bit. There was a murder that took place just down the street from my house. I actually went to school with the murderer. And even though I like true crime, there's something really disturbing when it happens close to home. Like Dwight Ransom. I drive by that house anytime I go outside. We listen to these podcasts and sometimes they don't feel real, they just feel like stories, but they are real. This happened to someone. Three people were murdered in a small town, probably even smaller than my own. And that's crazy. The police did what they could. Because some victims survived, they had a suspect or at least a description of one this description is from the NCSBI or the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation's website the suspect is described as a black male of median complexion around 30 to 35 years old he had a slender solid grid solid build with a military-ish haircut he had light brown slanted eyes and a narrow bridge and a narrow nose bridge which they suspect might be from a possible sports injury the police did what they could according to ap news quote an all points bulletin prompted calls from police departments around the nation with information about recent firings and perry said former law, local of, officers had been ruled out as suspects, end quote. A few people mentioned in different articles that they didn't think it could be a disgruntled police officer, despite the murderer literally saying that he was a fired cop. But according to Sheriff Wallace Perry, the victims were shot with a forty five caliber pist- pistol, which is not exactly what police tended to use, at the time of the crime, they usually carried a nine millimeter pistol or had a thirty five caliber of magnum revolvers, at least in the past. Ransom, who I used a quote from before, also said quote, it has always puzzled me that he only had one magazine for his pistol. A person trained in the military or as a police officer always carries more than one magazine. That leads me to believe he wasn't military or a police officer. All I do know is he is a cold-blooded killer." Regardless, the police did what they could and chased down any leads that they could find. One lead, in particular, seemed promising. People believed, police believed, that potentially the suspect had not been acting alone he might have had an accomplice. There was, potentially, a car that had been sitting outside the Below grocery store waiting for the killer. Multiple witnesses had come forward and told police about a white car that had a Maryland license plate that was speeding north on US-17 out of town. It was just after the police had been notified of the robbery and the murders. And there were two men in the car. Maryland police had been notified but nothing came of it. In fact, nothing really came of anything. The case went cold. 27 years later and this crime has not been solved. As far as I know and as far as the police have released, there are no official suspects. Police hope that maybe with the technological increases we've seen over the past three decades, maybe something will happen and somehow this case will be solved. They actually have a $30,000 reward for any details that help lead to an arrest. If you have information about this case, please call the Windsor Police Department at 252-794-3111. If you have information about this case or any of the other unsolved cases in North Carolina, because there's quite a few, please contact the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation at 800-334-3000. As always, I want to make a few quick announcements before I go. I do the research for these cases on my own. I tell this podcast based primarily on newspaper articles or interviews or all of that stuff. That being said, I might get things wrong. I try my best to tell the most accurate, truthful story about what happens to these victims, but I make mistakes. I'm human. If you happen to know something about the case that I didn't mention or you're related to one of the victims and want to have their story further expanded, please reach out to me. All of the sources that I used for this story are in the show notes. And the theme song for this podcast is called The Journey Acoustic by JAL 2020. Thank you all so much for listening. We're now in our second month. Um, It just means a lot to me. If you're new, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you have a case you want me to cover or want to say hi... You can email me at eastcoasttruecrime at gmail.com or follow me at my moderately active but needs to be more active Instagram at eastcoasttruecrime. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you all next week. Bye guys.